So this morning we're looking there at verse 12 in Hebrews chapter 5. And I want to read it again with verse 11 because that is really how the idea begins. It says, Concerning Him we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. We could easily take this passage out of context or even in context and may not receive from it the fullness uh, that God has designed it to, to be, to, to speak to us as people of God and to speak to us as children and as disciples. And if we would miss verse 12 by dismissing verse 11, we would have an incomplete understanding of what the Spirit is intending for us to see. It says, for though by this, and it's talking about what we have seen uh, last week as we covered verses 10 and 11, this dullness that has come from those who are hearing the word, and, and by all means we understand that they're hearing but not doing, and to some extent they're kind of like I've been accused of as a child, going in one ear and out the other. And I think all parents can understand that, and employees and employers have uh, both been reciprocators of that and understand what is meant here. But when it says dull of hearing, that is really uh, the preclusion to, to what is happening in verse 12. We see, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. And there is a an indictment of those who are supposedly belonging to Christ and who have been changed by this word. And what I, what I want us to understand is the backdrop to this uh, particular setting is the Hebrew people are receiving the Word of God in this epistle. And as they are uh, supposed to be receiving the Word of God as they've assembled themselves together, we have to consider the background. That these are a, a Jewish people and they are uh, at some time or another devout to Judaism. But what they also are is they are benefactors of the earthly ministry of Christ. So closely existing in the time of Christ's ministry that they are witnesses to some of the things that, that we are witnesses of in the Word. They, they saw these things. They heard these things. And they were coming from a special line of people, if you will. God's people. These were descendants uh, in the flesh to Abraham and to Moses and these great men of God. And we consider all the things that we see in the references to such people throughout the Word. And we must be reminded of what John the Apostle says in his uh, opening chapter about those who are akin in the flesh and of the will. And these things have no merit and no standing with God. These things indeed mean nothing. And praise the Lord that that's the, the, the truth. Because... In one sense, sin does follow the generations, but thankfully there is salvation to those who come from sinful parents. And even for those who would claim kinship to Moses, we know that they would soon defect from the cross. And 
Of course, some never even looked to the cross, never believed the cross. And I consider what Christ came up against with even His own disciples, that they were embracing the Word of God. They were looking for the Messiah and they were listening and they wanted to hear about Him. And John the Baptist is saying, this is He who I've been telling you about. This is the Christ. And they're all excited and they're all excited about this King to come. And they're, they're following Him, it seems. And then... When he talks about going to the cross, they say, oh no, no Lord, that, may that never be. No, no sir. We don't want that. And that is exactly what the Hebrew people are dealing with. They're dealing with the Word of God and they believe it so far into, into so much meat, if you will. And then all of a sudden they're reverting back just as Peter would. He was wanting the Messiah. He was wanting the King. And then when Jesus said, I have to die, he was like, no way, Jose. Isn't that the representation that we have before us? If someone who we would esteem as, as, as great as Peter, as righteous a man as Peter would turn and say, Lord, this, we, we took it so far and I, I was okay with that, but the point in which you died, and, and this is what we're dealing with this morning. Those who had heard the word and we're looking for this Messiah. And, and we have in Hebrews chapter 5 the description of the priesthood uh, from beginning to end. And even as I said before beginning because Christ is a forever priest. And that means uh, not just at the time of his incarnation into the future. But forever means forever. Always. Here he was. He defined the priesthood. Others came. They fell short. And he fulfilled the priesthood and is today. And so that is what we must deal with in the text. Here is a conviction upon the people of God as they are called dull of hearing. Likewise, to the church, this passage must be applicable to the people of God. It must be speaking as well. And we would all do well to consider what it says that we too may fall into dullness of hearing. I, I thought as I looked over the passage even again this morning, it, it came to my mind. We have a saying in the English language and it may be everywhere. And my, my granddad used to say it to me. Considering certain subjects, he would say, son, I forgot more than you've ever known about that. That is what Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12 is dealing with. Those who have forgotten more than they remember. Sad situation. But it is also a proclamation of what we believe about the gospel of Christ. That it is uh, working uh, in a three-part series, if you will, to cause us to see Christ and then to look at ourselves as sinfulness and then to return lastly and forever to look at Christ. And why is that? The truth is that the, the person who believes in Christ unto salvation is one who never graduates from the gospel. There are certain wonderful things about the elementary principles that are being said here. They are foundation. That's what elementary is. They're foundational principles that must be considered and must be remembered. And those must be there and present always to build upon. That is the gospel of Christ. That is the, uh, if you will, the, the basic necessities to salvation from which these people are being encouraged to return to. 
and being constantly reminded of. And so what we're seeing here is the the Spirit demonstrating for the people that He alone is able to save and that He alone is able to explain and He alone is able to unveil that which they have known and can recite because they were familiar with the Old Testament Scriptures. The problem is that they can not apply them effectually without seeing them in the person of Christ. They had the means. They had the time. They had devoted uh, certain aspects and areas of their life to looking at these scriptures. But it seems that they would look with closed eyes as do many Christians. That we would come today, and this is a passage dealing with spiritual immaturity, that we would come and hear the Word of God proclaimed and it would go in one ear and out the other, and that we are just simply satisfied by saying that Jesus is the Savior. Of course, Satan knows that. Unfortunately, to know that does not mean that we are saved. And in the same manner as this spiritual indictment toward the people of God comes at this uh, beginning of verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, uh, though this comes at the appropriate time, it too is ignored to some extent. It's ignored even in the church today. We don't mind being dull hearers of the Word. And many are satisfied without ever teaching. You want to know why? Just ask children what they know about the gospel. And we'll soon see the flaws of their parents. The dullness of hearing begins and your your children are the, the second generation benefactors of dullness. What a convicting thing to consider that your children may not know what they should about the gospel. And your neighbor may not know and your spouse may not be being fed with the meat of the word because we as men, first of all, are dull of hearing, as the Bible says. What a, what a great thing to consider. It says, by this time, uh, we're not giving an, an, an exact time, but what we know is from conversion until now, which couldn't be too long because the same person who is preaching uh, may in fact possibly be the same one who is penning these words. And it seems as though whoever it is is very familiar with these people. He's saying, hey, some time has gone by and you ought to be teachers. It, I, I kind of believe that it falls in line with what I was uh, talking about Wednesday evening, 2 Timothy chapter 4, to consider uh, the, the call to preach the Word. And we, we consider that in its context as being for one who is an elder, uh, one who is a leader in the church. But I said, you know, it, it has to be taken further than that. If not, we must uh, submit to the, the Catholic way of thinking that the Bible is only for the superior of Christians. But indeed it is for everyone and I believe that that call to preach the word goes beyond the elders and beyond the pastor but it goes to every Christian. And if that is the truth we can see that reciprocated here in verse 12. By this time you ought to be teachers. Every Christian ought to be teachers. This can be done in 
many ways. And I don't believe the reference here is to teaching from a pulpit necessarily. I don't believe it's uh, even calling one to teach in, in the corporate setting at all. Uh, it, it can certainly be that, but I don't believe that it is inclusive of, of everyone being able to. And of course, this would go against Scripture if we would consider uh, that this would be a call for women to preach from the pulpit or anything like that. But it does most certainly apply to every Christian. You ought to be teachers. We can ask ourselves that question. Even I standing before you as a teacher and Pat as a teacher and Jamie as a teacher to ask ourselves, are we teaching as we ought? I thank God that I'm not a Mormon for by grace you're saved after all that you can do. I can never do all that I can do. I can think of plenty of times where, hey, you know what? I was maybe... Combing my hair this morning. I know you won't believe that. Combing my hair this morning. I could have been looking at the Word. I was washing my car and I could have been preparing in the Word. This is uh, a serious statement to consider. And many of you even now might say, this is the, the pastor preaching to himself or preaching to the elders. But this ought to be the Word of God. The Christ speaking to us as Christians. Speaking about the dullness of hearing to which all of us have and contain some degree of it. What the penman is saying that the Spirit has given him is that we have done that which is inexcusable. The difference between the unbeliever being dull of hearing and the believer being dull of hearing is simply this. One is called trampling the gospel underfoot. Just think of that. The only thing that separates what we have done in being dull of hearing is the grace of God that has brought salvation. For if it was not that the Christ was ours and we were His, we would be those guilty of taking that gospel and trampling it, forsaking it. Considering not the doctrine of Christ nor the persons of God. And this is why it is building up upon the priesthood. Because it is describing what Christ has done before time, in time, and outside of time into eternity. Serving as a greatest, highest priest. One who has taken sin, past, present, and future. And has taken it upon himself. Suffered the wrath of God. And then as we will see in... Galatians has ultimately provided a saving sacrifice that will last forever. That's what the first few verses there in uh, verses 1 through 4 were describing. This priesthood and how Christ is doing these things. And in, in that there should be some thankfulness. There should be some zeal among Christians. Right. Let me put it to you another way. The common Baptist Christian is not doing right by God. Professing and then staying on the back pew or going back home and never coming again or coming even maybe on Wednesdays and Sundays, but never progressing, never learning, never gaining knowledge of Christ. He is sinning. I would say that 
though I'm not proud to say it, that the church is sinning considering the message of Christ that we have been given. Inexcusable to have such a a meal set before us, a feast, and to look at it and be filled with any manner of otherworldly thing rather than the manna that is from heaven. That is the truth. Why would God tell us about all of these things in the New Testament that your ancestors ate the manna from heaven? And then bring a likeness as to that of which we sit down to eat and stand up to play. That is what Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12 is talking about. You ought to be teachers. Are you teachers? Are you hearers only? Or even worse, not even hearers. This is for the sake of the one who is receiving this particular epistle. It is for the sake of his children, for his neighbors, for his enemies, that he be confronted with the gospel in the person of Christ and that he go beyond the spiritual milk into the meat. Do you want to have an, a litmus test, so to speak, of whether you're ingesting meat or milk? I'll say it to you like this. A weak baby can take down the milk, right? To eat meat, we must chew and we must work. When you're drinking milk, it's rather pleasant. Just take it in and... There it is. Goes right down, sometimes comes right back up. That's the, the wonders of milk. But the truth about meat is that it cannot uh, be taken in large bites, but that it must be taken into the mouth and considered and chewed upon and grinded down until the smallest particles go down into the throat and into the stomach. Just a little bit at a time. And that's what's wonderful about meat. That we have such a, a great uh, provision in Christ as we consider doctrinal things and theological intricacies that only Christ can reveal in the Scriptures and that we take them and that we mull over them and that we meditate on them and take them down piece by piece. And you know what? When I think about meat, I, I can't help it. I'm, I'm from the South. I think about steak. And the last bit is just as good as the first bit, isn't it? And you can chew on it the whole time and it's just as sweet. And when you're done, you are full. And I can tell you when babies have milk, they have to return in just a short time. And you know, milk sounds good and it is good at times and it is necessary for the body. That is why God makes a, a baby to take milk and he doesn't leave his father and mother for quite a while because he's being nourished on that but the meat is coming for those who are growing the meat is necessary and it is not as bland as milk can become but each portion of Christ having its own flavor spiritually satisfying certain things within the body and the soul to consider Christ one thing may move us uh, 
to repentance and may move us to be saddened by the truth of sin. And that same piece of meat can satisfy the stomach knowing that He is sufficient. Prophet, priest, and king. Here the ability of the Christian is questioned as he is either hearing dully or sharply. And in this case, of course, this should be also just a sidebar. This should be how we uh, consider things at work. Notice that he's not saying, you who are dull of hearing, bad. And you who are sharply hearing, congratulations. We don't need to be praised for doing right. Likewise, I don't think kids need uh, allowances for doing what they ought to do. This is what the Bible is saying. Look, you're required to do what is right. And when you are not, I will reprimand you. And we know that that comes from someone who is loving us. Here it is again. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, but you are not You are not teachers. If you had obeyed the gospel of Christ, you would be far along in your walk with Him, but you are still in infancy. You're not even walking. That's what milk is insinuating. You're not even really walking with Christ. You belong to His, but you haven't got up on your feet yet. You haven't stood for Christ. If you're not standing for Christ, you're not helping the church. Just say that. And you can bring the money and you can bring the food for the meal, but you are of no benefit if you are not standing for Christ. Listen, he didn't make a bunch of humans just to save them that they could continue to lay there and benefit from him and not stand up and bring glory to his name, to exalt his persons. Christians should be called by verse 12 to first begin hearing sharply and intently to the Word. The wonderful thing about even false prophets is that there's some truth in that. And sometimes they consider me to think of things that I probably would not have heard from my pastor in the past. They say things and you think, man, that just ain't right. And you start meditating upon what they say. There is some uh, wonderful reality to hearing what you hear sharply. To consider it and to chew on it and mull over it. He says, you ought to be teachers, but you have need again for someone to teach you. At which point I say, and it's kind of like preaching to the choir for those who are here at the assembly, but... Consider if at this point he says you have need for someone to teach you if the Christian, the professing Christian thinks that he may join the assembly and that he is simply saved and he doesn't have to return. Think about if Christ took that same attitude. Who would be left to teach? If Christ said, you know what, I love you, Father, but I don't think I think I can love you without going to the cross. I think I can be obedient without doing what you have appointed me to do as priest behalf of God to men what if the Christian took that attitude as he sometimes does well then we have people who don't join the assembly they don't hear they don't teach and then what is being said here though maybe falling on deaf ears has no 
uh, beneficial place in the life of the believer. You ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach, but no one's willing. What do we do with that? There is a call here to be sharply listening and to be able to teach and to be willing to teach and to be teaching. Sounds a lot like evangelism, right? Everybody's like, oh yeah, we should evangelize. We need to evangelize and then nobody goes. Here is a model of moving from milk to meat, if you will. You have need again for someone to teach. That is why the gospel is proclaimed from the pulpit every Sunday in a Bible-believing church. We start with the elementary principles of Christ, and His priesthood, and His sonship, and His deity, and His humanity, knowing that He alone is able to save, and we build upon that because that's what we've been called to do. He is building His church, the Bible says. Peter, just the beginning, as I mentioned him early, he says, but you need to be taught again. I've taught you once, but I'll teach you again. This is also a model of grace and long-suffering in the church. Consider that. How easily. I've heard it said from pulpits. This is the last time I'm going to preach about this. If you don't believe this, you can leave this church. I've preached on it 12 times. What a pitiful model of preaching. What a pitiful model of caring for the flock that belongs to Christ. Here it says, I'll teach you again. Somebody needs to teach you again. I'm willing to do that. Likewise, we as Christians must be gracious and long-suffering, willing to however many times it takes to proclaim Christ that one may be saved. What is one soul worth? What is your own soul worth that the pastor may proclaim the same thing from every text every week? He's beginning with milk and he's moving to meat. And if you don't understand, praise God. Praise God because He is bringing to light those things which are darkened. And if you know it all, you're in trouble. Trust me, I I don't make any claims to this. But it says, you need to be taught again. To be taught again. What a gracious God. He's willing, after He's given you a chance and another chance and another chance, to begin again with milk. But this time when we come to the meal, I think we ought to be looking for the meat. I think we ought to be looking beyond those simple things and be looking for the intricacies of Christ and His gospel, not so that we can outshine some other Christian, but so that we can continue to shine to those who are yet followers of Christ. Meat is wonderful. It's necessary. And here is a picture of those who are negligent with the Word of God because they had some mosaical tie to someone who God loved. Because their family was a follower and they had the ceremonies, they had the services, they had the cultural rituals. But it wasn't feeding their soul. 
In fact, the only thing that it can do is feed our self-righteousness, which is indeed what we must put down. I must decrease. He must increase. Milk to meat. That mothers probably love that part when the children are moving from the milk to the meat. Why? Because it's a somewhat of a break where they can recuperate, but also the child is becoming more knowledgeable and more self-sufficient. And that's what we wanted in Christianity to some degree. Not self-sufficient that we only rely on ourselves. I'm talking about so uh, sufficient with the Word that we can begin to learn on our own that we are now walking with Christ and we don't need the pastor or our parents hanging over us teaching us legalism that we would do right, but that we are desiring to walk with Christ. Because we like meat. There's one meat that you cannot be gluttonous with. Amen. There's not too much of Christ. And there's not too much doctrine. Unless you use it to uplift yourself pridefully. We will return, is what it is saying, to the fundamental principles of salvation. You want to know why so many people like to talk about uh, soteriology and we may be carried away by it sometimes because it is important. It is important. Here are some who are understanding and being satisfied with just a little when the Lord is willing to give so much more. Haven't we seen that time and time again? Whatever you give, God will return tenfold. In fact, you can't give Him anything that doesn't already belong to Him. He is calling us at this moment to give our ears and our minds and our souls to the gospel of Jesus Christ and then to continue feeding upon Him. You ever wonder why we talk about Christ being the living water. And sometimes I'm even guilty. I'm thinking, hey, look, the water is enough. It's living water. I don't need the bread. The passage is saying, have the bread too. Daily bread. Living water. This is the Christ. This is the foundation upon which you must be built. And it says, someone needs to teach you again these elementary principles of the oracles of God, the revelation of God to His people. If we were not meant to take in the meat of the Word and to understand, listen, there's no levels of Christian. Man, he's a real Christian. He knows way more. Listen, God gave this revelation that every Christian would feed upon it. That you would know as much as the theologian, wherever he may be, with his podcast and his commentaries and his 20-volume set, this is what we are called to be. Now, I don't say you have to write a book. But God is providing this that each one may know deeply who the Christ is and what He has done. And to uh, not simply just cut their mind off at the point in which they feel like they have reached eternal life, but to continue to live in the light that is Christ. We consider these oracles, this revelation, if you will, it is the only message that we are 
to hear. Preach the word, as we saw Wednesday. Which word is that? Just the part where it says, believing on him, you may have life in his name. Confess with your mouth. No, the entire thing. This is not a word that can be separated as the Jews would even, Orthodox Jews today would, would, would try to do, would attempt to do. You don't get to pick and choose which word, but we're to feast on every word. Every word to know what he's doing. I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 4. Part and parcel with what we read today. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held, children held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his sons into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? That is what is being said in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 this morning. Why would you return again? miraculous thing is that God even affords those who return again some nourishment to those who he would allow to breathe another breath a chance again to move from milk to meat ignorant babes Paul so often referred to babes in Christ cared for by a true father Listen, we can hold any number of mistakes or sinfulness against our children, but the model is Christ Jesus, who until death is calling men to repent, drawing them to himself, feeding them, not with a word that is inscribed by the hand of man, but a word that is breathed out by God. No one else can proclaim it like he can this is the stronger the higher more nutrient rich food that we would continue in Christ until death and then like that treasure we're called to guard we guard it when necessary but we gift it also in every season treasure of Christ is not to be taken and eaten. It's not like a, a consider this meal. It's not like a, a big pie set before you and you eat it all and keep it to yourself. This is a treasure in which you take that as, which is for you and give what is for others and everything that God has blessed us with is not only for ourselves but for others. Many members, one body. 
one large meal to feast. And when we see someone without, someone who's not feeding, this is the call to pull them in. To snatch some out of the fire. What a wonderful provision of God for His sheep and for His people. That not only is He working because the Word is irrelevant if Christ is not in it and if God is not applying it. But He has given the Word and He has given people the foolishness of preaching that by hearing some would be saved. By hearing, how can they hear? Well, you can't be dull, first of all. Second of all, they can't hear it unless they believe. God is granting belief and it is not that we would continue to be suckled on the milk of the Word, but that we would move to meat. That we would see the more excellent doctrines of Christ and the intricacies of theology beyond the mere... uh, recitation that we teach kids in Bible school. Jesus loves me this, I know. It goes beyond that. The love of Christ goes to the cross. The love of Christ goes to conviction of sin. Not overlooking it. Consider all of these things as we live in a world that is very passive when it comes to sin. The love of Christ is not passive that way. This is what it means to move from milk to meat. That we understand that God loves His people. Yes, that's a basic elementary principle. How does He love His people? Well, He went to the cross. How does He love them beyond that? He will not allow sin. God hates sin. God hates workers of iniquity. That is what it means to move to meat. To understand how that works. Because only understanding beyond the milk can we be sanctified. We know that Christ is Savior and even some of the three-year-olds or four-year-olds could repeat that. But do we know that He is calling us to be accountable? Some would say yes and many would say no. He loves me just like I am. We love to say that. He loves us in spite of who we are. And because of who his son is. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. The truth of the believer is that we are loved by God because we are the bride of his son. And when we enter into heaven, it is that sheep's gate in which only the Christ, the Lamb of God, is able to fit. And if we are not in him and he in us, then we will not inherit this kingdom. What a wonderful indictment that we have before us. We ought to be teachers. O dull of hearing. You need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles and oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. For and without getting into next week's sermon, let us consider that. If we may indeed have come to need milk instead of solid food. Let us between now and next time we meet, Lord willing, let us dwell upon that and consider how wonderful it would be to move again to meet. To love 
Christ so much that it consumes every area of our life. To love Christ so much that we love our neighbor as ourselves. Both believing and unbelieving. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we come to you once again, Lord, just thanking you for your word, God. And I just pray that it would be effectual unto myself and each and every one of us, Lord, that we uh, may have been lacking, God, in our desire for your word, that which you would feed us by, lacking in our desire for Christ. We just ask that you would grant to us a powerful love, Lord, and a, a changing of our heart that we may uh, again be devout to Christ. Lord, that we would not be satisfied with, with what we know, but we would be eager, Lord, and zealous as those before us to know everything that we might this side of heaven. Or those things that you would reveal to us only through Christ. God, and we pray that uh, you would receive our worship today, God, that you would be well pleased by it, that it would be a sweet savor unto you, O God. Or that you would mold us into the image of our Savior. And as we move, Lord, to partake of a meal together, God, we just pray that you would bless us there. God, that you would be highly exalted and praised even in that, knowing, God, that such a small thing that we in America uh, deem so easily gotten, Lord, that it is not, and it was for your word, God, and for your sake that you would even prepare for us long ago the, the people and the provision and the meal that we would partake, Lord, unto, uh, unto our service for you and your kingdom, Lord, that we would ingest meet Lord even as we eat today as it would represent you providing for your people so that they would do as they have been called Lord, we pray that you would bring us into submission today Lord and that we would continue to grow God and that we would not bring dishonor to the name of our God in Jesus name we pray Amen